Lord, as our time in the story of Ruth concludes this morning, I ask that you would open our hearts to receive the individual promptings of the Holy Spirit that you would have each one of us receive personally today. And today, if we cry out in emptiness, I pray that you would hear our prayer. And if we long for hope that eludes us, wait patiently at our side. And if we are in need of redemption, may we confess and receive it. And may we recognize your redemptive work in our lives and respond with appreciation and joy for new life and new beginnings that only you can offer to us. Amen. A woman flees from her homeland in the midst of a famine. And while she is in a foreign country, her husband dies. And shortly after that, her two sons. So she returns home with her daughter-in-law, who has committed to staying at her side. They are physically and emotionally empty. But her fortunes begin to shift. But she doesn't believe in fortune. And she doesn't believe in chance. And she doesn't believe in coincidences. She does believe that God is at work in her life, despite all of the pain. She knows that that is true. And her daughter-in-law goes into the fields and she works to keep them going. And while she does that, she meets a man, an extraordinarily generous man, who addresses their physical needs. But he also holds the key to restoring their family legacy. In doing so, we find out today that the generous man and the loyal daughter-in-law become ancestors with significant importance. First to a baby boy who restores that family line. Later to a king named David. And David is a name that remains in this big story of the Bible, central to this day. His name has carried on for three millenniums. But ultimately, their line leads to the king above all kings. The very God whose hand Naomi knows is at work in this story from beginning to end. And that king is not just going to restore a family line, and he's not just going to rescue a people. If you would follow that king, he can redeem you fully, all the way into eternity. He is the hope and he is the redemption of all mankind. And he came that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. We're going to re-enter the story of Ruth today at chapter 3, verse 10. And we're going to read through the end of the book, so the balance of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. Where we left off last week, Boaz had just awakened. His uncovered feet began to feel the coolness of the night, and when he wakes up, he finds Ruth laying at his feet. And she has just asked him to serve as that redeemer to her in-law's family. Chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you as you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian or kinsman redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. 
stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. When he did, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter-in-law, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses. I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and, the, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. 
Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the line, the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So throughout the book of Ruth, we have been recognizing Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. And in chapter 1, she shows that by committing to staying by her side when she is in a state of emotional emptiness. She provides for her an anchor that is no longer there for her in the death of her husband and of her sons. And in chapter 2, she goes to work in the field. She's seeking to fill that physical emptiness. And in that time, she meets Boaz. Boaz is going to play a significant role in the restoration and the redemption of this family line through his generosity. That is the opportunity that is before him as we shift from the scripture last week into what we have read this week. And we mentioned last week that Naomi had shifted her attention to Ruth. She has begun to look out for Ruth and wants to make sure that she is provided for, but Ruth remains committed to Naomi. So Boaz, who's already recognized and talked about her loyalty, is impressed again by her continued devotion to her mother-in-law and her willingness to set aside her own personal interests to make sure that her mother-in-law is taken care of. And the first thing he says today in the passage is, you could have run after much younger men, and you could have sought out your own long-term personal security. But knowing who Boaz is, And the position that he is in, he presents herself not only as a worthy bride, but asks him again to spread the corner of his garment over her, to claim her as his wife. And he says also, or she says to him, serve as that kinsman redeemer. Redeem the family line. So he recognizes again her character and says, yes, but there is someone else that is first in line to do that. There's another family member who has more of a right to that role than I do. But he says, one way or the other, you are going to be redeemed. If he does not, I will do it myself. And that big hole that's been in Naomi's life since the beginning of chapter 1, the lack of a family legacy and the lost potential of an heir and the uncertain return of their family land to the family, As unlikely as it seemed at the beginning of chapter 1 on the road from Moab back to Bethlehem is nearing its restoration. It is about to happen. And if that wasn't generous enough, he is going to again gift her with an extraordinary amount of grain. So we talked about the big bucket last week that this gentleman is pouring grain into. This time it's the the seah, the second one below it there. But he gifts her with six measures of that, which is actually more than he gave her the first time. We talked about the first time one to two pounds a day might be what a worker would expect, and she went home with much, much more than that. Today, it's 60 to 95 pounds of grain. 
So Boaz, again, already being very generous to say, I will redeem the family line, is filling their physical emptiness once again. Two to three times that noteworthy amount that she was given the last time. And Boaz is an honorable man, so the next day he goes to the city gate and he starts to move on these promises that he made to her. He is going to take the appropriate steps. He's going to do this in the right way. And he goes to the city gate, which is where they conduct business, and he gathers the elders and he gathers the witnesses, and he openly gives this opportunity to this unnamed relative to act as the kinsman redeemer. And the man says, yes. And then the man says, no. And why did he change his mind? If the man is going to redeem the line of Elimelech and do that through Naomi, that's a much smaller ask. She's advanced in age. She's not going to have any more children. And his commitment is very short. And if the land comes with it, that's to his advantage. He is building on what he has accumulated for himself. If he marries Naomi and all he has to do is provide for her to the end of her life, that is a short-term commitment. If it's Ruth, it changes significantly. She's much younger. There's the possibility that she would have one or many children, and that starts to divide up the inheritance that he has for his own children. So instead of a short-term taking care of an older woman and then accumulating all that came with it, the chance that he walks away in this scenario with less. So the potential redeemer is willing to serve in that role if it's in his interest, if it's profitable for him. Naomi is not an obstacle to profit and to property. Ruth is. Naomi is not a long-term investment. Ruth is a long-term investment. So he wants no part in that potential role as redeemer. And if you remember the first time, the first chapter, when we talked about Orpah, when she decided to take the more practical role, maybe the easier road, the author of this story does not speak down on this man for making that choice either. Orpah was given the opportunity to go in a different direction. This man was also, and he takes it. But like Ruth, Boaz will be recognized for doing the extraordinary. He's going to go above and beyond what anyone would anticipate that he would do. So last week we heard Ruth make that request, something that was not traditional to us, to put the corner of his garment over her to claim her as his wife. And this week we get a, a handoff of sandals. I don't know that we're using that in our transactions today. It's a real estate thing. I'll have to talk to my friends that are realtors and ask them if they do the passing of the sandal. I think it's more the passing of the keys, right? But he's got an opportunity now to pass this claim that he has, the right that he has to this land and this woman to redeem her, and he hands his sandal to Boaz, which is a, a transfer of that opportunity. Feet were very important in the Old Testament. They were a symbol of power. They were... Uh, uh, symbol of possession and of domination. And this is a, a known story that we are familiar with, with Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus, acknowledging the Lord's lordship, God's lordship over the land in the story of the burning bush. Remember, he takes his sandal off because that land is holy and sacred and belongs to the Lord. So he removes 
his sandal in an act of subservience. There's a story in 2 Samuel where David is weeping and walking barefoot, and that shows humiliation, and it shows powerlessness. So shoes and feet in the Bible times are important, and these ancient real estate transactions included taking the shoe off and handing it to another, or one man lifting his foot off the ground while another man put his foot on the ground, literally setting foot on the property, and that symbolized an exchange of ownership. So in taking the man's sandal, Boaz now holds this right. He has passed it from himself to Boaz, and he can claim the land, and he can claim Ruth, and by association, Naomi. So our story starts to reach its climax and its conclusion. Naomi, who was once empty and bitter, has much more now than grain. We hear that in the final segment. She has a son. And her legacy has been restored through Ruth and Boaz acting as Naomi and Elimelech to continue the family line. You notice there in the scripture, when the women respond, they say, Naomi has a son. Not Ruth and not Boaz. Naomi has a son. And the family line is redeemed. Sons are critical. We've talked about that through the story of Ruth. They are celebrated and they are held in very high regard. And we hear Ruth in this passage, not compared to one son, but to seven sons. And seven is an ideal number to the Israelites. And they are saying this woman, this outsider, who came from Moab to Bethlehem, who has shown her loyalty, has proven to be more valuable or as valuable to you as seven sons. That's a very, very high compliment. Because in a time of emptiness, Ruth remained loyal. And her extraordinary commitment now fills Naomi in multiple ways. And then we have the legacy of Boaz in this story. His generosity is lauded. And the people have asked that the Lord would bless him. And recall we talked about that where Boaz became the answer to his own prayer request. We began speaking of that last week, the way he had asked that the Lord would take care of Ruth and would bless them and then was given the opportunity to answer that himself. And that happened multiple times throughout these four chapters of Ruth. First of all, we have the interaction with Orpah and Ruth in chapter 1, where Naomi says, May the Lord show you the kindness that you have shown me, and may he grant you rest. And Ruth has found her rest, and we assume Orpah, staying in Moab and finding another husband, has found her rest as well. And then the rewards for Ruth. May the Lord repay you. May he richly reward you. May he bless you. Were the prayers that were asked by the people of this woman, and those things have happened. And then Boaz, blessed be this man. May he be famous throughout Israel. And he is about to become famous. He is about to become very well known for the men that come out of his lineage. And that line is the last piece there. May their line and their lives be as recognized as some of these other significant biblical characters that are mentioned towards the end of chapter 4. May they be as big a part of God's unfolding story as Rachel and Leah and others. 
So we see in this story God's care for Naomi, and we see that because she has acknowledged from the beginning his sovereignty. And we witness Ruth's extraordinary loyalty, and we see Boaz and his generosity. And these things result not only in good things for them, but for God's chosen people. The whole people are impacted by their generosity, their loyalty, their faithfulness, and their acknowledgement that God is in the middle of all of this. And the book ends with the genealogy. Not quite this big, but this is the line all the way from Adam to Jesus. And we see some of the notable figures highlighted there, Noah, Abraham, and King David, who we just spoke of. So just to the left of David, we see Boaz, we see Obed, we see Jesse, and then to David. And then the line continues all the way to the King of Kings, to Jesus himself. So Ruth entered this story as an outsider and becomes the great-grandmother of David, who was the, beginnest, uh, the beginning of this dynasty of rulers from that family line that would rule over God's people. And then she and he are members of the line of the prophesied Messiah, all the way to Jesus. And the outsider in this arrangement, in this kinsman redeemer bringing her in as his wife, is now a full member of the covenant people of Israel. She's come from outside and is now inside and is woven into the story. In chapter 4, in that short genealogy that we see, we see Boaz's name, we do not see Ruth. But if you read the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, you will see her name referenced as an important figure in the line of Christ. And these biblical genealogies don't always show you person for person or generation to generation. They may leave some gaps, but they're telling a story showing God's faithfulness through all of this. But remember that number seven. That in Israel, the number seven was significant, and Ruth was seen as, as valuable as seven sons. And if you look at the text, what position does Boaz hold in that genealogy? He is number seven. So that is a position of great honor where they are listing Boaz in that genealogy at the end of Ruth chapter 4. And the fact that the genealogy comes at the end of the story and not the beginning of the story prompts us to reflect on what just happened. The beginning of the story to the end, what comes from that? God has used the loyalty of an ordinary woman and a generous man responding to opportunity to fulfill his promises to all of his people. And fullness is realized from a willingness to act with extraordinary faith. So as we come to the end of, of the story of Ruth, I want to do two things with this verse in front of us. It's from John 10, verse 10. It says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. It's to think about our own journey from emptiness to fullness, to reflect. And if you picked up a, a sheet from the back table, the outline for today, those prompts are listed there, and I'm going to read them for those of you who did not. First of all, I want you to reflect on this, because the importance is not only that we hear these stories and that we think about these stories, 
but we decide or, or determine how are we going to act on this information? How are we going to act on this word from God? Because it needs to be more than something that we just feel good about a story. And we feel good for Ruth and we feel good for Naomi. So the first question is, where are you empty? In what parts of your life right now are you empty and where are you full? To recognize both of those. And when perhaps you are experiencing emptiness, how are you seeking to fill that emptiness? Second question to recognize, where are God and the Spirit moving in and around you? Where is God at work in your life? How are you responding to his prompting and his opportunities? We heard the story this morning of the, the first kinsman redeemer. Are you in? Are you out? Are you kind of in? Does it depend on the circumstances? Does it depend on how it impacts you? Or if God calls and gives you an opportunity, do you go? Third question, where are you experiencing hased? This is a word that we've used uh, multiple times during the series, this extraordinary commitment and generosity. Where are you receiving that in your life? And where are you letting that flow through you to others? Who in your life is worth sacrificing for? And finally, will you allow God to use you in extraordinary ways for his purposes? Will you, not how will you? You say yes to God first, and then he tells you what he wants you to do. God will call you as you see fit. So I'm going to invite you in a moment to share your thoughts on those questions or anything that the book of Ruth has prompted you. As you ponder those, if you're more comfortable sharing it with someone near to you in the bench, that's fine. I do have a microphone as well. If you would be so bold to say, this is what I've learned and this is what I'm feeling from this story of Ruth. Maybe it's a simple declaration and a commitment to God that you're available, that you want to be used in his redemptive work. At the same time, I recognize that you may be the one this morning that is in need of redemption. Perhaps you need to cry out to God this morning and, and put a burden in his hands and to acknowledge the difficulty that you are in and be honest about the hurt in your life. When the burden weighs heavy on us or those around us, we cry out for strength, for relief, for healing, and knowing, as Naomi did, that God is sovereign and he is faithful and he is in control. As we begin to, to reflect on that, I want to share one more phrase from that same book of prayers that deals with those, those hardships. And these are hard words to say, perhaps. But if we embrace God and trust him at the highest level, would we be willing to say, if your all-surpassing power will be shown most dramatically through my weakness, I surrender to your will. And if your incomparable beauty will be most clearly reviewed or revealed in my hardships, I surrender to your ways. And if your redeeming purposes will be most realized through my brokenness, I surrender to you. That's a hard prayer to pray, but maybe that's the spot that you're in this morning where you need to hand it over to him.
So our prayer of response this morning is not going to be a prayer from me. It's not going to be a song that we sing together. It's going to be an opportunity for you to reflect on the words that you've heard from the book of Ruth and to share if you're willing. And then I will close this up with a benediction at the end.